0: Hey guys, big news. New Balance has released the Fresh Foam 1080 V13 with a new outsole design to increase forefoot stiffness and enhance the rocker profile as well for the smoothest transition ever. You can benefit from their innovation by getting yourself a pair, which uses a new Fresh Foam X compound. I've noticed an increased energy return with more cushion and less weight, making my long runs a lot more comfortable. Comfort aside, I also just love the look and how versatile this shoe is. Check out the 1080 V13 at newbalance.com. Thank you, New York. Today, we're reminded of the power of community and the power of coming together. Athletes, on your mark.
1: The first woman to finish for the second straight year here in the New York City Marathon is Mickey Gorman, a smiling Mickey Gorman, and why not? 2.29.30, the time for good advice. Look at the emotion of
0: Shalane Flanagan as she comes to the line, pointing to his chest, pointing to the USA. He so proudly wears across his chest. A great day for Mep Kowalski. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Set the Pace, the official podcast of New York Roadrunners, presented by New Balance. Great to have you with us. I'm Rob Simulcare, the CEO of New York Roadrunners, joined, as always, by 2009 New York City Marathon champion, Meb Kofleski. And, Meb, we are thick into the holidays now. As we drop this episode, we're just a few days out from the Christmas holiday. We want to wish everybody out there celebrating a Merry Christmas, Kwanzaa coming up as well. Happy Kwanzaa to everybody. And Meb, uh, it's a great time of year, whether you're running or just hanging out, uh, everybody enjoys this time of year. So happy holidays to you. Thanks, Rob.
2: Happy holidays to you and every everybody everywhere celebrating Christmas and holidays. You know, this is a good time to evaluate how your year has gone and time to reflect back what went right, what didn't go, and kind of set ready for new year, new year resolution as going forward for 2024. So it's evaluation time. Personally, for me, I always kept notes in things like that. And it's a good way to reflect back to the ideas
0: and goals that you had. How did they go? Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's a reflective time of year, I think, for a lot of us, you know, we have that time to spend with family to look back on the year we just had. And then, of course, for so many of us, we're looking ahead, right? What do we want to accomplish You know, whether it's in running or just in life, right? What do we want to do with the next year? And, you know, for so many people, of course, Meb, this is the time when they set that new fitness goal, whether they are someone who hasn't been as fit as they'd like to be and they want to start being more active, or maybe they're already a dedicated uh, runner, for instance, and they want to set goals for races they've never run before or times they've never run before. And so we actually have a great. Episode today because we're gonna have an interview with a journalist, Cindy Kuzma, who wrote an article in the New York Times recently that I think everybody should take a look at. It's it's this age old debate about running versus walking and which is better, right? You know which is better for you, which has bigger benefits. Meb, I, if you're like me, you know you run into people all the time who you know you tell them you run or you're a runner. Or for me, I work for road runners, and they say, oh. I'm not a runner and I just can't, I can't run. I don't want to run. I walk, but I'm not a runner. And we talk about here at Roadrunners, that kind of person a lot. And how do we at Roadrunners engage those folks? If, If walking is what they want to do, you know do we just you know give them places to walk or do we put them on a path maybe from walking to maybe a little run walking to just becoming a runner so Cindy is going to join us in a little bit can't wait to talk to her about that whole what you call continuum between running and walking that it's a, it's kind of an age old debate absolutely you know the running
2: is something that everybody don't appreciate or don't think can do it but now how do you transition as a new year resolution comes i'm pretty sure everybody's bucket is a uh, you know, exercise or lose some weight or whatever it might be. And it starts with walking and then to running and then setting other goals, whether it. it's a 5K. But a good friend of mine once told me, he says, you know, I ask people, do they go to the mall and shop? Yeah. And they're, what are they doing? They're walking. If they can walk for like about an hour, I'm pretty sure they can run at 5K. So that's like looking forward to talking to Cindy with those kind of ideas.
0: All right, Cindy's going to be with us in just a minute. Also, want to make sure we let folks know about our Med Minute a little later in the episode. And of course, we're at year end, it's that resolution setting time. And so, our Med Minute today will be about setting goals for the new year, uh, whether they're distance or time or just running more. Uh, we'll talk about that in our Med Minute in just a little bit. But now we are pleased to be joined by Cindy Kuzma. She's a freelance journalist, she writes for the New York Times. Runners World. She's an author of a great book on women's running as well. And Cindy, it is great to have you with us here on Set the Pace.
1: Thanks so much, Rob. It's great to be here.
0: So, Cindy, love the article, Walking versus Running. And, you know, as we were talking about before, it's this age-old debate. You know, we'll get into some of the details with it, with with, on this article before, but you really take a hard look at the health benefits, right? Because I think that's what people ultimately are looking for? You know, what's going to make me healthier, you know, help me live a, a longer, healthier, more productive life? And so as you went through and you looked at walking versus running from a health point of view, how did you approach that? Is it, is it kind of either this or that, or is it really more of a continuum, you know, whereas, you know, one kind of leads into the other potentially?
1: It's a great question, Rob, and my assignment was to kind of compare the two you know, to take a hard look at, is one really clearly superior to the other? And while the article is kind of laid out in a way that if you're looking to achieve the most health benefits in the least amount of time, running is probably your best bet. The conclusion I came to after talking to all the experts was really, it is a continuum and it all depends on your starting point too. You know. When I There are so many different reasons we run or walk, right? For our physical health, for our mental health, for the social connections that we make. And I know that's a big part of New York Roadrunners. And so it's really hard to rate one as superior to the other in all of those categories. So I took a hard look at two really um, specific criteria, which is your fitness level as measured by VO2 max. And maybe we'll talk a little bit more about what that is later. And then the, the benefit for longevity. And what we see in the research and what the experts I spoke to told me was both running and walking benefit you in your fitness and your longevity. The biggest benefit comes when you move from doing nothing to walking. And then as your body becomes more fit, as you become accustomed to that routine, as you're consistent with it, you can increase the amount of benefits that you get by pushing yourself a little bit harder and doing some running as well.
2: What are some of the early, um, research that you figured out from the benefit of just walking before you start running?
1: Oh my gosh. Well, if you look at the research on walking, I mean, they're, it, they're just study after study talking about how walking uh, makes your heart stronger, how walking, uh, stabilizes your blood sugar, especially if you take a walk right after you eat. There's a lot of benefit there in terms of just kind of keeping your blood sugar steady um, and preventing a lot of health problems that 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 can cause. Um, uh, The walking is also really beneficial for your mental health. It starts to decrease the risk of cancers, heart disease, so many other diseases. So walking, I mean, and it really, I think I was surprised even how little walking is beneficial when you go from not taking very many steps at all to adding, you know, 10,000 steps is a number that we see a lot in kind of popular recommendations for walking. But when the researchers have really started to break that down and look more at how much walking is beneficial, if you're not doing a lot now, adding 2,000, 3,000 steps a day really is hugely beneficial in most, if not all of those areas.
2: You know, Cindy, routine is important and, uh, you know, usually people after dinner, they go for a walk as a family and things like that. But what would you recommend for them into to get into a regular, whether it's 150 mi- 50 minutes to 300 minutes a week of walking? What would be besides the dinner, what other routines would you cr- recommend?
1: Sure. Well, first of all, I'm not actually officially an expert, so I can tell you what the (laughs) what the experts I interviewed recommend. Um, I spoke to Dr. Alyssa Olenek, who is a fantastic fitness professional, and she talked. uh, She and also Dr. Duck Cho Lee, they are two researchers that I spoke with, and they kind of I worked with them to sort of develop a plan for how to progress from walking to running. And the first step is really to just kind of look at the number of steps you're taking a day and set a goal for increasing that by a little bit. And to your point, Meb, you know, there might be a dedicated time that you do that, whether it's after dinner with your family. I think that's a great time because you do also get that benefit of doing something with the people you love. Um, if you if you can convince your, your kids, your partner to go with you. But you can also, I mean, build that into any other part of your day. You know, I, I, a lot of researchers talk about habit stacking and tying walking to something that you're already doing. So maybe it's you know, for me personally, for instance, every morning I get up, I do a little work, and then I eat breakfast, and then I take a walk around the block. So tying that to to kind of a walking habit, something I'm doing already anyway, eating breakfast and then I walk around the block, um, and then from there you can start to increase that as you as you build that habit.
0: Yeah, Cindy, the walking. There are times you can walk, right? That mm-hmm. you can't run, and and that's one of the things I love about walking is you mentioned that big meal, right? Like that to me is my favorite time to take a walk because I just feel so much better. Um, if I've had a big meal, especially late, you know, a lot of health folks say you shouldn't have big meals after seven or eight o'clock at night or whatever, but this time, you know, holidays, whatever, you may have that big holiday meal. And if you can walk home from it, if you're here in a city like New York or or just take a walk afterwards, like I just feel so much better going to bed. But you can't really run after a big meal, right? Like that doesn't really work. There's too much bouncing around going on. You're going you're gonna to get yourself feeling pretty ill if you do it that, you know, go for a run after a big meal. So it's like there's, there's just times that walking may be the best solution. Another example of a time when walking may be best is if you've got an injury, right? If you just, you know, right now, impact is not something that your body's going to tolerate.
1: 100%, and I think that that's why you know, while we did compare running to walking and which is quote-unquote better for these two specific criteria, the ideal situation is where you're doing a little bit of everything throughout your week. And it really does, like you say, you know, maybe during your workday, if you go into an office, you can take a walk at lunch where you might not be able to run at that time, or like you say, when you're injured, or even if you're running a race, and maybe, you know, you might just need to take a walk break. Maybe you walk through a water station of a marathon to bring your heart rate down a little bit and decrease congestion. I mean, there's so much time that so many times when even if you are a dedicated runner that walking makes sense too. So I think, yeah, ideally, you'd be doing some of all of it.
0: You know, it's funny, Cindy, you mentioned walking through water stations, I, I actually have started doing that more and more myself because I find running through those water stations, like grabbing that little cup of water, trying to drink that while running, it actually takes more energy for me and I think probably impacts my time more negatively than if I just stop, walk like five steps, drink the water like properly and then start running again. So that's a, that's sort of a side, side note. But yeah, that, that even that little brief walking break can be good because uh, mm. running and, and drinking don't always go that well together unless you've got a pro water bottle. All right. So I want to get into, you know, a lot of the, the, the substance of your article in the New York Times, which is that VO2 uh, max, right? And, and that, that measure uh, of your body. Can you talk, Cindy, about what is VO2 max and, and what is relevant about that in terms of us understanding our health?
1: Sure. VO2 max is something that probably elite runners like Meb focus a lot on in their career, but it's a measure of fitness that's a number and it signifies how much oxygen your body can deliver to your hardworking muscles when you are exercising. And so that's really a solid measure. Uh, you know, there are many, there are different measures, but it's kind of the gold standard of how fit are you? How well do your heart and lungs work together to support your body when you are exerting a lot of effort? So while it is used by athletes to focus on improving their performance, it's also happens to be a really good measure of overall health, cardiovascular health and longevity. And when researchers look at BO2 max and studies, they find that on the aggregate, it really does link very strongly to longevity, as Dr. Allison Zelensky, who is a cardiologist, sports cardiologist here in Chicago, pointed out to me when I interviewed her for this.
2: Well, since we talked in VO2, I happened to stumble to one of those things, you know, uh, how fittest how you can be. And every millisecond counts. For me, first time sharing this is 82.4. Having confidence in that, in your ability to make a move, but... I didn't, it didn't start that way. For my running started when I was in seventh grade PE class to get a t-shirt and A. And once that talent would realize, then you can go into this pedigree of VO2 max to say, hey, I'm, you know, what, with the running superior or walking superior. But most people feel like, hey, I'm not a runner. I can't even go around the block. But it's a segue to get to something. You know, running is something that you can go out of your door and do at any time. And in this, though, VO two, how did you do? Sedentary to walk in, to run—it's a progress. You can't just get to the twenty-six point two miles. You have to start with a, a block to a five k to a ten k. So, how is that? We, you know, you know, running people think you got to go sprint out like VO two max. Yes, but any other day, you just got to cover distance. You don't have to worry about how fast you're going. So, running, walking—do you think is a good idea to walk, run, walk? in your thing. I think Jeff Galway was one of those people that started this to help get a 5k, 10k or half marathon or full marathon. What's your suggestion on that?
1: Yeah, I think absolutely. You, you make a great point, Meb, that it really is all about that progression, right? And, you know, when you get into elite level running as, as, like when you did and you started worrying about exactly what your VO2 max is and what are some really specific running workouts that further increase your VO2 max, you know, we're really not, when you're first starting out, you're not at that level. You're just trying to think about what is going to increase my fitness a little bit. And it's like the, the fitter you get, the more specific you have to get in terms of your training to increase that VO2 max. So when you're first starting out, walking around the block, can be challenging for you. And it's that level of challenge compared to your current fitness level that's going to increase your VO2 max, basically. So when you're starting out, starting with the walk around the block, and then the next day you can walk a little bit farther, and the next day you can walk a little bit farther. And again, in the article, we kind of lay out a progression for once you feel comfortable on your feet for about an hour, you can start sprinkling in some running intervals. And I think really when you get to that point, like you say, Meb, um, Jeff Galloway has done the run-walk method of of wanting for years. I think that's a great time to start thinking about trying it out in a race. And some people find that they actually go faster or feel more comfortable racing when they continue with running and walking intervals. Other people find they feel more comfortable running the whole way. And so once you get to a point where you have a really solid, consistent habit, then you can kind of experiment with what works best for you and your body.
2: Well, let me tell you, walking is a lot more safer because when I did that VO2 max... I end up falling from that treadmill. So every, every you know, millisecond, a second counted. So it was not an easy task to achieve. But <laughs> right. what is, you know, how would you recommend that? Because people have this conception that if I'm going to be a runner, I have to sweat hard or I have to go mm-hmm. super, you know, it's a punishment. It's like, oh, I can't even do it. What would be the ideal, you know, to start with for somebody that says, you know, a distance, for example. Is it a mile? Is it walk a mile and then run half mile, or what would the recommendation would be? To having studied those analysis between running and walking, a medium happy, so that they don't have to think <laughs> I have to sprint every time.
1: <laughs> well, I really think. I mean, it's it's hard to say. Like, how how do you quantify that in research? Uh, I'm not sure, but I think you know if you're if you're looking at how to make a successful transition from mostly walking to adding in some more running, I mean, that the kind of rubric that we lay out in the article is again once you feel comfortable walking for about an hour start with some run walk intervals so warm up with about 5 minutes of walking and then alternate a minute of jogging and i think you know a lot of people do i i know when i talk to friends who aren't runners they think well i couldn't run around i can't even run around the block i'm too it's too hard for me and i and i would tell them to slow down go at a pace that you can uh speak, but not sing. That's going to get you at a moderate (laughs) level of of intensity for your physical activity. So, you know, brisk five minute walk to warm up, then alternate a minute of jogging at that pace where you could talk, but not sing. So you might be going a little bit more slowly than you would think. And then walk another minute. Uh, Oh, sorry, walk for three minutes after that. So run for one minute, walk for three minutes, repeat this three to five times to through and I would say try to do that three times a week when you're first starting out and then you know from there you can over the next couple weeks once you start to feel comfortable with that running you can increase that interval a little bit decrease the walking and then take that again to where you want to go if you want to run for 30 minutes straight you can work up to that
0: Hey, runners, get ready to go the extra mile on the Peloton Tread with walking, running, hiking, boot camp classes, and more. Whether you want cardio or strength training, Peloton Tread will get you moving toward your next goal. Now, up to $500 off Peloton purchases. Shop Peloton Tread today at onepeloton.com. Terms apply. Cindy, uh, your article in the New York Times, Running versus Walking, which is better for lasting health? So what's interesting to me is when you get to that point of VO2 max, running does start to, according to your article, really pull ahead, right? Because Mm -hmm. walking generally, even if you start to work in some hills, which can definitely get your heart rate up with walking. And that's, that's another good kind of point along the transition, right? From walking to running is working in some hills when you're walking. But that bounding you talk about, right? When you run, You are picking both feet up off the ground. You are bounding ahead. Every step is a small bound. That is giving, even at, your article says, even at a fairly modest running pace or six miles an hour or something like that, you are seeing a VO2 max that's getting higher and that's where the long-lasting benefits start to separate a bit, right? The longevity, how long you're going to live, which is you know closely associated with VO2 max, running does start to show a real advantage there. Is that right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, again, if some of it goes just back to kind of the the best use of your time if you have a limited amount of time. Because if you're going to walk for 30 minutes, you're going to experience a certain level of challenge to your cardiovascular system. But especially once you've already been walking for a while, it's hard to walk fast enough to increase your intensity level to the point that you can kind of continue making progress in your fitness, right? So that's where when you start running, you really do get a, a more significant stress on your cardiovascular system because of all of those things that you mentioned, that bounding, instead of having one foot on the ground at all times, you're kind of pushing yourself into the air and landing and then pushing off again. And so it's really about the intensity level. That's what increases the benefit to your fitness level so much. So that's why we do offer because there are, to be honest, people who can't run. And we may, we may talk about this later on, people who can't run or don't want to, but we offer some other suggestions in the article for that too.
0: You know, Cindy, it's funny you mentioned the time component. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's so important. And I, I think it's sometimes under discussed, right? Just the, the efficiency of running mm-hmm. as a workout. And, you know, Meb, I'll, I'll even say this to you. Like, one of the reasons I think I've stayed running so long in my life, you know, I, I ran cross country in high school. I've run a couple of marathons, as you know, but why have I stayed with running? And I think it's because it's just the efficiency of it, you know, like when you've got to get a workout in and you've got work and you've got kids, you know, you don't need a partner, you don't need a place. And if you've got 30 minutes and all you've got is 30 minutes, right? Like that 20 minute run can make such a difference. And oh yeah, walk is great too, but you get so much more feeling like you've really exercised after that 20 minute run.
2: Absolutely, Rob. I mean, I think, you know, efficiency is important. Simplicity is important. And then, you know, even as elite athlete, we feel like they see us on the prime time of the New York City Marathon or other races. But I remember going, first time I ran with Ethiopians and said, we're going to run 15 minutes. And guess what we did? We jogged. I'm literally slower than walking. And I'm like, what are they doing? what are they 15 minutes? So we went about 25 minutes. I said, are we going to come back? We didn't. We kept going for another 10 minutes. And guess what? The last 15 minutes was just full-out speed. So the efficiency that you want, I'm like, what's going on? I was really in shock how, uh, how people train. Train with people is appreciated, but at the same time, know the goal is important and the progress. We are not here scientists, but we can see the progress and the benefit that you see from weekly to monthly in leading into benefits. I, you know, I can run around the block. Next thing you know, is three weeks later, four weeks later, you're running like two blocks or maybe two and a half. So the evidence is that the efficiency and in equally proportion, you know, benefit that you get out of running. And for me, for you, Cindy, is what's the mental aspect of it? How do you get over that barrier? Uh, you know, mental fitness or mental barrier to say, hey, I think I got this. It's always reluctant. To, I don't know if we could do it. I don't know if we could do it. But we know that two weeks later, we're doing it.
1: Yeah. And I think that's really where that progression comes in. You don't think that you can do it. You don't think you can run, but if you start where you are and you build up slowly over time, I think a lot of people who never thought they could be runners will find that they can be when they start slowly in that way.
0: Yeah. And Cindy, your article talks about that, you know, people who don't think they can be a runner, right? I think the the biggest reason I hear from folks who say, I just, I cannot be a runner is usually an orthopedic thing, right? It is typically my knees can't handle it or maybe it's hips or something like that. And your article does go into that a bit and talks about the fact that the research has been done on this and that, you know, that that let's call it a myth that's been out there. People say you run long enough and it's guaranteed to ruin your knees. You know, it's going to happen. Your article says that's really not true. The research does not back that up and that running and, and knees and joints can recover and can allow you to be a runner for a long time.
1: That's right, Rob. I think that is such a common misconception. And I also don't want to minimize, there are truly some people who have orthopedic concerns that do prevent them from running. Uh, but I would encourage anyone who thinks that they do, uh, who thinks that they can't run to talk to their physician about that. Because Dr. Bella Mehta, the rheumatologist at Hospital for Special Surgery that I interviewed for the article, she treats a lot of people with inflammatory arthritis and all kinds of other conditions. And she says that there are really very few people that she would say, no, you absolutely cannot run. Sometimes you have to be strategic about it. Sometimes you might have to rest a little bit more if you have an inflammatory condition, but there are many more people who can run than who think they can. Um, but to the point about knees, when you, I think that the conception is that a knee joint is kind of like a door hinge and like the more you open and close it, it wears out over time. But our bodies are actually much more incredible than that they're all they are living tissue in our in our joints and the research actually shows that there are some huge benefits to running and other kind of high impact activities on our bones on our joints it actually nourishes the cartilage when we stress it um, so while again there certainly are some people who have knee issues that prevent them from running the idea that simply by running you will automatically damage your knees that has been disproven in the literature our to, as much as we can say anything is certain <laughs> in science, it's it's definitely the evidence is looking like that's not the case.
0: Yes, and you know I can talk from personal experience about something else your article mentions, which is the importance of the gradual buildup, right? Because I started working here a year ago, and you know I've always been a runner, but I think because I was working at Roadrunners, I started running a lot, a lot, a lot more, right? My more distance, more frequency. And I said, you know what? I think I'm going to try to run another marathon this year. And so, really, then started building up my mileage. And it probably was a little too steep, right? Because I, I, that's when my knees were like, okay, hold on. Wait a minute here, buddy. You know, yeah, we're used to running 10, 12 miles a week, but now you've jumped us up rather rapidly to 30 miles a week, right? 3X what we were really doing. And that's when I encountered something. And that, again, kind of goes back to the point of walking versus running, Cindy, because walking can be part of a gradual buildup for someone, um, just being on your feet, stressing those joints a little bit more that can help you move up to running. But it's that s- gentle slope you know, that is the key to not getting hurt and to taking care of our bodies.
1: Yeah, to your point, Rob, that's true at any any point in the process. And one thing that didn't make it into the article, but Dr. Mehta also told me is, When you, if, you know, a lot of times if you're starting a new walking routine, um, starting to run a little bit, you are going to have some soreness, some muscle soreness, and that's normal. But she said, if you ever get to the point where your actual joints are hurting, like your, your knees were, it's probably a good time to back off. And that doesn't mean that you can't run anymore. It just means that your body is telling you, like in your case, maybe you ramped it up a little bit too quickly. You should back off a little bit, see if it resolves. If it doesn't, you can go to a doctor or a physical therapist and get some advice on how to treat that.
2: I agree with both of you guys, Cindy and Rob. I think it's also to know how smart the training should be, whether it means pavements versus grass or dirt, and then the stretching, the recovery and the fluid intake. With all that, I think it can give you a good recovery or make the progress a little bit more smoother and recover faster and be able to be wise about where you train because I know the simplicity sometimes is... Get out of the door and get it done. And some people choose because they live close to proximity to Central Park or others, just because they have the convenience. For me personally, from my experience, probably 85 to 90% of my training always been done on trails, just intervals, tempos, and those are the two ones that you want to emphasize on speed. So training smart is very crucial. You know, running or walking is is, is the most important is to have fun, to go out there and consistency. I think uh, Cindy, uh, what would you recommend in terms of uh, group training? Is that also important, or because I know we touched touched a little bit about social aspect of it? How does how do you figured about those things in your research?
1: Yeah. We didn't talk a lot about that in this article, and I didn't really look at the studies on that for this particular article, but I can certainly tell you from experience that that is a powerful benefit of walking or running. I think when you can do it with friends, there's something really special about moving with people. There's this Bond that happens when you 're kind of moving in synchronicity, and I think there 's also something about the conversations that you have when you 're walking and running because you 're not looking at each other you 're looking straight ahead and i don 't know about you, meb, and you Rob, but I know some of the the most meaningful conversations i 've ever had have been with my running partners or my walking friends uh, friends on a walk so I think that that is harder to quantify in the research, but I think it is really powerful both in terms of building social connection, which we know is also important for health because loneliness is really detrimental to health. And it's also helpful for ensuring consistency. You know, if you're having trouble just making it a regular habit to get out there and walk or run, if you know you have friends, partners waiting for you out there, you're a lot more likely to stick with it.
0: That that to me is exactly what it is, right? The more ways to get you out there the more you're going to do it, right? So I know a lot of folks who like to have the walking meeting, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, instead of us sitting across a desk from each other, let's go take a walk and talk, right? And and that's another, to me, another great advantage of walking, right? You can do that in the middle of your workday. You know, you're not changing clothes, you're not getting sweaty. And, you know, y- you also don't have to know that the person you want to have the meeting with is a runner, right? Pretty much everybody will We'll walk a couple blocks, so it's just something that's so available to so many people. So great article, love love reading it. I think it's a it's a debate we have uh, here at Roadrunners a lot, right? How do we get people engaging with us as walkers? You know, we have walking programs here at Roadrunners. We have a program called Striders, which is focused on older adults, and and that's great. But we we do talk a lot about how to get folks walking with us as well as running with us. Cindy, I want to talk a bit about you and other stuff you've done. You, you're not just a writer. You are a pretty dedicated runner yourself. You've run 23 marathons, seven in Boston. Um, very impressive. You, you are a coach as well. And you found a way to uh, make this not just your passion, but also your career. You're getting to write about running as well. How did you find your way um, to actually being a writer who focuses on at least part-time running as well as being a runner?
1: Sure. Well, I didn't grow up an athlete at all. I was an adult onset runner. Uh, the most athletic thing I did in high school and college was marching band, which actually is quite athletic. <laughs> I would say that marching is not easy, but it's <laughs> those not
0: formations quite- are hard, Cindy. <laughs> like they're, 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 you got to be pretty, pretty athletic and synchronized to form some of those uh, shapes they make.
1: Exactly. It is a cognitive and a physical challenge for sure. But <laughs> I was in uh, graduate school for journalism here in Chicago at Northwestern. And I just wasn't in a place where I was taking very good care of myself physically. It was kind of a stressful time. And I had a strange injury where I stepped off a curb and twisted my ankle and was on crutches for a little while, just a tendon issue. And I thought, you know what? When I can get off the crutches and walk again, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try running. I'm gonna try to take a little bit better care of myself mentally and physically. And that's when I started running. And around the same time, I was was taking journalism classes at Northwestern, and I took a health and science journalism class and thought, oh, wait a second, I could kind of blend these two things together. Maybe I can write about the things that I'm interested in. And so it's been kind of a, a build from there. I had a number of full-time jobs that were related to health and science journalism and then about 12 years ago, I left my last job to go full-time freelance. And that's around the time that I started writing for Runner's World and other national health publications too. So I feel really fortunate that I've been able to blend these interests. And you know, it, it does definitely help being a runner or, or someone interested in fitness to come up with story ideas that are relevant to other people in that boat.
0: Cindy, your latest book is called Breakthrough Women's Running, Dream Big and Train Smart. You wrote that with Neely Spence Gracie. Uh, Tell us about that book. What can uh, a woman who's either running or thinking about getting into running learn from reading that book?
1: That book, I hope that she can get a lot out of it. It has chapters on just about every component of running. It has a chapter on nutrition. It has a chapter on mental training uh, as we were kind of talking about earlier getting over those mental hurdles it also has a chapter about female hormones and physiology and then it has a chapter about pregnancy and postpartum running too which is a specialty of Neely Spence Gracie she's had uh, two babies and, and came back and she'll be running her I think fourth Olympic trials <laughs> this, this next year so it was Amazing. great to partner with her on that and I hope that it gives people really kind of a solid ba- I mean no one book can uh, contain everything you need to know for running but I hope it gives people a little a little bit of everything in terms of what they need to know to take their running to the next level.
0: All right, Cindy, it's been great having you on. Again, the article in the Times is all about running versus walking. It's a great read. We love talking about it. And your book, your podcast as well. You got a podcast called the Injured Athletes Club, which is a club we don't want to be in. But if we're in it, it's a podcast you can listen to as well to try to get out of that club. And uh, Cindy, it's been great having you on. Thanks for talking about this. Happy holidays to you. And I really appreciate talking to you.
1: Yeah, thanks. This is great. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Meb. Uh, you have happy holidays too.
0: All right. Time now for today's Meb Minute. And Meb, it's that time of year. We know folks are out there. Either they've started to do it or soon they'll be setting those New Year's resolutions. And gosh, there's so many that relate to running, right? How many races you want to run, how many times a week you want to run. Maybe you just want to start running for the very first time how, as someone who obviously has, has run your whole life and done it at the very highest levels, how do you think someone should think about setting a goal for a year? I mean, a year is a long time, right? Something that you can achieve that is doable, will keep you motivated, and won't become kind of too big to handle. You know, what, what, what's the best way to think about New Year's resolutions and running? New Year Resolution is a great way to start the year.
2: And my number one recommendation is write it down. Write it down on, on a piece of paper or on your phone, just saying how realistic is that goal? How specific is that goal? For example, when I was a lead athlete, I would say I want to break the American record. So I would write down 27 minutes and 19 seconds, 0.99, under the American record, doesn't matter. And then you could just say, hey, I want to finish a marathon. For somebody, that might be the, their goal. I want to finish a marathon. When you do that, then specific, it has to be January, March, or April. Just say, I want to do it and maybe sign up for the New York City Marathon or other races in the middle of the year. Then also, make it, make, uh, for me, was if it was Olympic year for most people that are coming now, 2024, I said, make an Olympic team. That means top three. And for somebody else, it might mean, I want to qualify for Boston. And that's a specific goal that you can have. And also for me, it was, you know, it's not how many miles I do, but I want to say, I want to win New York City Marathon. I want to win Boston. If you get second, it's not a failure. You're going toward the right way. And for somebody else might be, I want to run sub five hours, or I want to run four hours and 30 minutes for a marathon. When you have those goals, it's going to drive you to come out of that, you know, whether it means three times a week or four times a week, or for for us might be 12 times a week. So those goals are there to help you um, inspire you to be the best version of yourself and as long as you do those and you see them daily or on your trainer log you're going to be able and it's okay to tell s- selective people that are in your circle because they're gonna hey did you put your miles in they're going to ask you this question how's it going so those when those happen they retrigger trigger those positive that hey am i in the right trajectory to do
0: what i want to accomplish All right, we wish everybody luck as you're putting together those resolutions, whether it's to run your first marathon or maybe your first half marathon. I got a lot of friends who are already training to run the United Airlines NYC half at the end of March. We just had the drawing recently, and so that's a great place to start if you're looking to start becoming a distance runner for the first time. Maybe you want to qualify for Boston for the first time. Whatever it is, we wish you luck as you start to create those resolutions. And we wish you a very happy holidays, a new year as well. Uh, We'll be back with one more episode, our last episode of the year coming up next week. In the meantime, have a great holiday. Merry Christmas to those celebrating. Happy Kwanzaa as well. And we'll see you next time at the finish line.